tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Stand By Me, Vietnam War Family Reunion, Priest Serial Killer, and Magic Rock. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Um, Crystal, I know that like your friend in Hollywood or L.A. or whatever told you not to have us talk at the beginning of the show and just get straight to the... Um, you know, straight to reviews. business. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that isn't a friend in Hollywood or LA. That's just, <laughs> it was just a friend making an observation. It's just a friend who watches or listens to a lot of podcasts. So, oh but yeah, what's on your right. what's on your mind, Robbie? Well, I just uh, I just wanted to mention for for me it was pretty exciting. We have our first confirmed non friend of uh, one or the other of ours listener out there yes somebody reached out and made contact last on week Twitter. yes was it last week it felt like it was longer i i, I, I don't pers- know maybe it was two weeks ago well but- you know, two two months will pass by before this episode actually airs so <laughs> <laughs> well i hope that he our uh, our new fan <laughs> our one new fan uh, is still listening at that point so thanks for Thanks for the shout out. That was certainly very encouraging that somebody we didn't know um, was actually listening to this thing. So um, I'm surprised anyone is listening to this thing. And it's been very surprising to me because I'll talk to friends and they're like, so you still doing that podcast? I'm like, well, you haven't listened to it. And they're like, no. (laughs) And I'm like, so I don't I don't know who is actually listening to this, but some people are. Well, hello. Yeah, definitely. De- well, definitely my friend Stephanie mm-hmm. and your friend Nicole, who is trying to like make Gail hashtag Me Too some sort of unrunning uh, reenacted pod. Yeah, more uh, more power to her. I yeah. don't get it, but I hope that she keeps on keeping on, and that can be a thing. So yes, and, uh- and <laughs> I-, I want all of our listeners to come up with weird things to try to uh, embed into the mythology of this show. Yes, well, certainly and, and we want to interact with you as well. Um, I, th- I think the only caveat is we're recording these so far in advance of releasing them that if you make an inside joke, it might take us a minute <laughs> to catch on because we've probably recorded it a month in advance of you listening yeah. to it. So, um, but no, we'd love to hear from you. So thank you for hitting us up at, at reenactedpod on Twitter and our email address again is reenactedpod at gmail.com so that's where we are on the internets right now of course if you want to leave a review on itunes that would be amazing and i think i just added our podcast feed to podbean which is a android app that you can listen to podcasts on if you're not an itunes person so yeah i know podbean i i listen to uh the purple stuff podcast on it excellent I mostly just mentioned that because I'll now go over to their Twitter and <laughs> yeah, well we're Spread we're, we're spreading our little tentacles everywhere that we can. So <laughs> okay, so well, should we should we get into it? Yeah, that was enough shameless self promotion on our part. Okay, well now um, we don't have to do it at the end of the show. We did it at the beginning of the show. Yeah. All right. Uh, so our first segment takes us back to October 28th, 1981. But before we get into that, Robbie, can I mention something? Oh, 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 oh. Are you going to mention the Robert Stack intro? Yes. Okay. Because Robbie, you totally called this like last week. Um, I went and visited Union Station last weekend and I put some pictures up and you commented that the Union Station photos look like someplace that Robert Stack might be doing uh, <laughs> some some work on site. And then lo and behold, we get our intro, uh, Union Station in downtown Los Angeles. That so, is Union Station. That is Union Station. Yeah, it's been remodeled since, but it was totally recognizable as Union Station. So, uh, Robbie, you totally called it. 
for this and, week. And of course, the laughably hysterical, ironic bit about this is I did take note of this intro bit, mm-hmm. but I didn't catch that it was Union Station. I was just looking at it, I was like, oh my God, it looks like he's shooting in a bank. <laughs> Which, no, well, I mean, it does, I, but it's a it's a tra- it's a very real train station. Wow! Yeah, I, gosh, um, I feel feel I guess not vindicated because no one was really telling me he wouldn't shoot at a place like no, that. I, I, <laughs> no. I think I told you I agreed with you. Actually, is that it would probably <laughs> yeah, come yeah. up at some point. I just didn't think it would be like the next episode we watch. So <laughs> it's excellent timing on our part. Anyway, sorry uh, to inter- interrupt. You were gonna. You're going to tell oh, yeah, us yeah, a story. Yeah. No, yeah. Let, let, let's stop talking about Union Station and start talking about murdered people. Um, so <laughs> October 28th, 1981, Newburgh Heights, Ohio. Um, we start out with a reenactment that begins with three boys who discover a body. Yeah, so it's a real Stand By Me kind of. I, too, was thinking <laughs> about Stand By Me, but these kids do not hold a candle to any of the act- child actors in Stand By Me. Um, they're, you know, they're no River Phoenix. They're no Jerry O'Connell. They're no Will Wheaton. They're no, uh, Corey Feldman. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> now, who's, I, who's the asshole older brother in Stand By Me? <laughs> oh, shit. Was there an asshole uh, older brother? Um... Probably, I, and it was probably like Kiefer Sutherland or Bill Paxton, and I can't remember which one. It feels like Kiefer Sutherland was in that movie. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So they find a dead body. At first, they they're wondering whether it's a dummy, and one of them gives this line reading that literally sounds and has the same pace as this. I don't know. I don't think so think it's real let's get out of here and the kids then immediately proceed to run off we learn that the dead body is kurt sova who is 17 years old and the mystery the show sets up is that he's been dead for somewhere between 24 to 48 hours but he had already been missing for five days and so the show cuts to cuts back in time to Friday, October 23rd. Uh, he leaves leaves his house. You know, it's Friday night. You know, meets up with a friend a block from the house, and they go off to a party, I guess. <clears throat> uh, and he never returns home from this point forward. Um, it's about Sunday that his parents, uh, they re- or were, were they his grandparents? I can No, I they're, they're his parents. Parents, yeah. They register on Sunday. They they're they're able to register him as a missing person. His mother starts putting up flyers all over the uh, town, which you know clearly clearly shows you know what life was like before Facebook. Because uh, this seems like nowadays you just splash the picture on Facebook and you already already connect with like the entire population of the town. Um. So through this process, she eventually learns from some of uh, Kurt's friends that he went to a party. She goes to the duplex where the party was supposed to have happened. And the resident there, Susan, wasn't at home, but her roommate was. And this bit of the reenactment is really interesting because the roommate comes out and she seems just completely irritated and impatient. Uh, so you know this. I think this... it's I think it's worth mentioning that they are they're actually having Kurt's parents reenact this. So it's actually his mom going <laughs> to the door. That's right. Yeah. I, well, I I, I noticed uh, when they're reenacting his father driving around looking for, uh, for him that it was was his father. Um, you know, I, they they've done that. A, f- a few times on the show where they reenact uh, the actual people reenact the occurrence though it usually seems like it's not one of the true crime type things obviously you know because those are probably so traumatic yeah and usually i think they just keep it to uh, if anybody the law enforcement 
folks right, that right. are involved you, with the case. Usually, yeah, usually it's law enforcement. Um, so, yeah, the the roommate is just completely irritated. Doesn't have time for this. Every like question she has to answer, she feel acts like it's the greatest you know imposition that's ever been put on her in her life. It's <laughs> uh, like, uh, and so finally. You know, she's like, all right, fine. I'll tell Susan to give you a call when she gets home. Uh, apparently, and then apparently when Susan gets home, she call calls uh, the mother back, denies that there was any sort of party that went on at her place. But this was apparently disputed by a pizza man who um, delivered pizza there the night of the party. And they, they depict briefly him approaching the duplex with his pizzas in hand. And the way they tried to make the duplex look like there was a party going on um, before they actually cut to the interior, to me seemed less like there was a party going on in the duplex and more like a kid who had been left at home alone was using cardboard cutouts to replicate a party to keep a couple of burglar, burglars away. This is my house. I have to defend it. Um, that's a Home Alone reference. Yeah, I was just—I was gonna say, like they used a cutout of Michael Jordan moving back and forth in shadows. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, but so caught in the lie, Susan finally admits that there was a party at her place. We get a depiction of a party inside the. Uh, duplex and you know this is like one situation where so often we come across parents who are just in utter denial mm -hmm. in this show like oh my son wouldn't smoke pot my daughter wouldn't you know run off with a man da -da 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 -da, on and on and on uh, here like the mother is like well I was shocked to hear that he was drinking but if he was at a party where everyone was drinking, then he must have been drinking himself. So uh, at least she ha seems to be a little, you know, a little more rational than some of the parents in trying to piece together the truth using what fact factual information she has. Um, as it turned out, Kirk, Kirk apparently did drink too much. So someone, maybe the person who took him to the party, took Kurt outside to get some air, um, then went back up to get his jacket because it was cold out. And when they returned, Kurt was gone. Um, is getting like air really a way to recover from drinking too much? Um, I <laughs> well, I, I think there's his friend probably realized that Kurt was turning green. And so instead of having them tie up the, probably the only bathroom in the in the <laughs> duplex or risk throwing up on some furniture he took him outside in case he had to hurl so i think that was i mean this is a classic friend move this is a bro move for sure oh, okay. uh and i i believe certainly everything from the friend's point of view this all seems very logical is that kurt wasn't a drinker he got drunk a uh, friend took him outside to get some air in case you need to get sick, realized it was cold, went back in the house to find the jacket. Again, I think this is very likely. And then, of course, when he came back out, Kurt was gone. Yes. Um, so this results, uh, we, get a, we get a cut to Kurt's body subsequently being found by the law enforcement. Um, his left shoe was in a pile of rocks several feet from where his body was and his right shoe was completely missing and they emphasize this because it, it sort of ties into something they bring up right near the end the coroner uh lists the cause of death as probable instantaneous physiological death what uh, <laughs> which uh, I guess uh, you know. To me, I, I read read that. That sounds the... that sounds terrifying. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, just break it down. Probable meaning it, you know, probably happened. Okay. Instantaneous meaning that you know it happened really quickly. Uh, Physiologic means it was you know something involving the body, and that's then death. That's usually how we die. Yeah, <laughs> it involves our bodies. 
Um, <laughs> um, but it's, I, there's a uh, instantaneous is the one I don't care for of all those okay. words. Okay, uh, really? Because I, I, I mean, when if I mean if you're going to die, wouldn't we want to die instantly and not like the prolonged sort of manner or um yeah i mean i guess i guess the word probable is modifying the word instantaneous not probably <laughs> probably physiological death so you've, you've been listening to chris stone roberts grammar death certificate talk <laughs> <laughs> uh no i just i just what i'm picturing and I, we the coroner in this, if I recall, is really seems out of place for <laughs> uh, Cleveland, Ohio. I don't know, but anyway, well, uh, I, well, yeah, no, you're spot on with that because I was studying this coroner very intently during my second watch of the episode. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Arachnophobia. Uh, once and that was enough. So I don't. <laughs> you're quite not a remember spider it. person. Gotcha. No, blocked it out. But yes, go yeah. on, please. You're not. You're not the first person who's to- said something to that effect when I bring up that movie. Um, there's. Do you remember there was a character? He's like a older doc, town doctor. No. Okay. Uh, and like Jeff Bridges is the young new doctor. And the older town town doctor's like, no, 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 yeah, he's he's one of those guys who's really set in his ways, you know, doesn't hasn't checked a medical journal since the Eisenhower administration. I see, yes, yeah. And let me tell you, not only does his manner, that the coroner's manner, remind me of this Doctor Metcalf from the movie Arachnophobia, but there is a physical. There is a definite physical resemblance. I only suspected as such when I was watching the episode, but then I stopped and I went on Google, and they 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 look very much alike. Uh, so, <laughs> I, 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 mean, I have no retort I, to this other than <laughs> how many times have you seen arachnophobia? Not that many, like maybe two dozen. Okay, yeah, that's reasonable. Which, yeah um so but and i'm sorry because i know you were about to start in with uh like an actual like criticism of the legit a legitimate criticism of the medical procedures I, you know I, I i was only in that the the coroner quotes sherlock holmes sherlock holmes that's also in my notes <laughs> uh what what is it when all other well oh if you've eliminated the impossible Whatever remains, no matter how unlikely, must be the truth. So if I'm to understand this correctly, (laughs) Kurt, uh, maybe a little bit hungover, walked around for two days and then suddenly, just suddenly died. Yeah. And he lost uh... his shoe. (laughs) And I'm... Please continue. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, you, I think what you've just said perfectly sums everything up because his mother is not satisfied with this. Well, uh, I'm not. I'm not satisfied with this. Yeah, no, for sure. And I demand satisfaction. Uh, okay, I'll get my pu- dueling pistols ready for whenever I come down to LA. I am. Um, I'm giving this segment of Unsolved Mysteries a glove slap. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Are you doing this in the hopes that I will like create some sort of image of you and this segment of unsolved mysteries in an eight? I had no, I had no plan when I wandered into this, but if that's the result, (laughs) then I'll be happy. Then then I will be satisfied. Um. So the mother, you know, not only no, not only she dude that was smooth. I know. Uh, not only was the mother incredulous about this um, this diagnosis or or verdict or whatever, but th- there's a lot of other p- bits and pieces of information that have her definitely suspecting there's foul play. Uh, I mean, oh, the fact that like her son was missing for five days, and granted in the past when we've seen segments and people you know in denial parents are like oh they 
they would have called or da da da, da. and we're like, dude, you don't know you know your kids. I mean, these parents seem to more or less know their kid. I mean, they're they're shocked to learn that he was drinking at a party, but they're in touch with the fact that like, well, if he was at a party where there's drinking going on, he would probably be drinking too. Yeah, and, I think I think the parents have every right to be suspicious. Yeah, uh, about about what's going on here. Yeah, for sure. And there's there's all sorts of little bits and pieces of of foul play information. An acquaintance of Kurt on Monday, so this is you know now a couple of days later uh, after the party, is driving along and sees Kurt along with a, another boy walking down the street. And he pulls over to offer Kurt a, a lift. But this van pulls up, and I believe Kurt addressed the guy in the van as Franco, and him and his uh, acquaintance that he's walking with get into the van and drive off. <clears throat> uh, Kurt's acquaintance sort of just shrugs his shoulders at this and, and drives on because he, he doesn't realize at this moment that Kurt is missing. And then we get to the really strange uh, occurrence, which is some stranger um, walking by the local record store. <clears throat> and uh, if you're uh, a millennial and you don't <laughs> quite understand what a record store is. <laughs> Robbie, they still have record stores. They do? Yeah. No, this is this. We'll have to go into late millennial slash Gen X catch up for ourselves here. But uh, vinyl is still uh, very much a popular medium to listen to music on. Oh, that's that. right. It is making a comeback, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Probably we're talking about 1982. They probably got some tapes in there. Yeah, uh, you no. know, probably a lot of vinyl, maybe a CD. I don't know. I if there's a CD, it's like it's on a show. One of the, it's on like this no, single novelty sh- shelf. Um, and it's probably it, like REM's first album. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, <laughs> Which, if anyone knows the name of that, go ahead and tweet it at us because I don't recall what that was. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, so, so so the weirdo comes into the record store. He's wearing a trench coat. He has sunglasses. He goes up to the manager of the record store, and he points out the, the, the flyer, and he's like, you know, they might as well not even search for this kid because he's going to turn up dead in a few days. And he, he wanders off after that. The manager, you know, obviously this was a weird experience, but she didn't really think too much of it, like, you know, this is just some creep who's coming in saying something strange. But then I believe it's the next day that creep ha- has left flowers for her with a note that reads, roses are red, the sky is blue, they found him dead, and they'll find you too. Um, the police pick the guy up and determine that he's just some you know vagrant or something from Detroit. And by this point, Kurt was missing, but he hadn't been found dead yet. So they let him go. And I'm kind of curious what your take is on this, because for a while I was like, well, gee, surely this is a missing piece of the puzzle. But at the same time, it, it does seem quite plausible that this is just like some weirdo who is mostly just stalking this record store manager. <laughs> and <laughs> You know, is is not in any way associated with Kurt's disappearance. What do you think? Yeah, I had the same thought. I mean, it seems like a related incident. I don't know. Wasn't the guy from Detroit or something? Did you already mention yeah, that? Yeah, he was. He was from Detroit. Um, um, yeah, I don't. I really don't know what to. Yeah, the guy's innocent. It's um, just, it's well, we just like we th- we throw this detail in and then we don't return to it right exactly it's it's one of those frustrating pieces the show sometimes throws at us with no resolution uh because as far as we know they never track the guy down afterwards or anything yeah no i i think this is definitely something that this is more just a matter of this record store manager needs to be fearful for her life yeah she should probably be more concerned than she appeared to be in the segment (laughs) right right 
I mean, but uh, also, also, you know, we're in 1988 when this show is being recorded, but the murder happened back in 1982. True. So yes. it looks, she might be in the clear is what I'm saying. Right, right. If, if the guy hasn't come back after yeah. six or seven years, she, she's probably fine. Um, so the last bit of uh, information is that on Thursday at 3.30 a.m., so I believe this is the morning of the day that his body will be found. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parents receive a call from, I don't, it was, was it Susan or was it just someone? No, it was Susan. It was Susan, yeah. yeah Susan who had had the party at the duplex, yeah. Right. And she said that there was someone that was sleeping in her basement. And with the implication that it could be Kurt or it could not. She just didn't know. So the father goes over there, um, but at, by that point, all he finds is a cot that had been slept in. And so we proceed from there to, once again, to catching up to the body having been found. Uh, and they, since they had determined that Kurt was alive up to 48 hours before his body was found... Um, you know, there's just this big hole of missing space as to what happened to him or where did he go? What was going on? And because uh, yeah, this is, this is almost certainly a foul play thing. This is not mm-hmm. Kurt was wandering along yeah. somewhere. The fact that he was miss you know, gone from, from the house for so many days, you got this woman in the duplex who's being really evasive about, whether he was there or not. And then, you know, the phone call that morning of, to me, is like, she, maybe, you know, maybe he was found dead in her uh, basement, and they did something with the body or whatnot, and she was trying to, like, trying maybe to be a little too clever, like, well, if I call and tell them that I there's a guy sleeping in my basement, that will make me look less suspicious because why would I draw attention to myself or something? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, we know that uh, Kurt was not, uh, he was not, his body at least was not in the ravine up to 24 hours before it was, was found because the father had gone there to check, check out the ravine just you know, for lack of anything else, any other options. And we were left with a little additional piece of information that someone from Kurt's school named Eugene Reft, several months later, his body was found about two and a half miles from the same spot, and his right shoe was missing as well, which apparently is an indicator that there might be some connection. I I guess a serial killer who takes people's right shoes. Uh, and we're left with the last little bit of text on the screen to let us know that this uh, his death is still considered a probable accident. Yeah. Oh, God. The other thing that I'm remembering now is that I did they interview any law enforcement or was it just the coroner? Oh, yeah. Um, it, it was... Uh, here in addition to the coroner god i thought i wrote down the guy's name because this was someone with a a a very distinctive mustache it (laughs) it was it was very wide like how does how is it distinctive from any other uh cop mustache we've seen so far on the show well you know certainly many of the different cops and da's that we've seen have had a variety of mustaches bushy thin um of all sorts but, oh, okay, Lieutenant Robert Carras, C-A-R-R-A-S, Carras, I don't know. Um, his mustache is very wide. Like, most of their mustaches stop right about, you know, going left and right, right about where the lips stop. Mm-hmm. But his extend at least, I don't know, half an inch to an inch no, not an inch, but half an <laughs> inch beyond in, in either direction. 
<laughs> as an up and down with like a handlebar or not, a, not no it's it's not like some sort of distinctive handlebar it's just like it's growing out of his face <laughs> from you know i might have to go back and like rewind on this segment to see this mustache because i don't me- even remember there being a cop in this segment well, yeah, no, you don't really see much of him. He makes a very brief appearance. He's actually probably probably has more screen time in the actual reenactment itself than he does in the, the sit-down interview, which I think really is just one moment with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I felt like the segment... Uh, oh, did we... Oh, you weren't done, were you? No, no, I, I was done. Probable accident was where I was uh, leaving off. Yeah, um... They end the segment so abruptly. <laughs> they do. Uh, they do. I, I hardly had time to catch my breath before we were going into the next one. So, um, yeah. I mean, Robbie, what do you what do you think happened to Kurt? Um. Well, the party he was at. His mother mentioned that it did not consist of his ordinary group of friends, and that they were slightly older. Um. And we have knowledge that he was alive up to a couple of days after the party because the one acquaintance saw him Monday. I mean, assuming that he really did see Kurt, but I'm sure he must have, you know, how could he recognize mistake of just a stranger? Um, He, uh, I don't know, maybe he, these people he began partying with, Maybe he just got found. He really enjoyed drinking, and just you know, we we see that he already has a low tolerance. Maybe he just drank too much and died from alcohol poisoning. I think that would make sense because they try to. I mean, that woman Susan tries to cover up that there was even a party at the house, and if they dump the body in the basement and then finally try to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I that that that. I think that's that's to me that seems the most likely explanation. So that does it, it is. Uh, I guess we've solved the case. Okay, case closed. Um, how many <laughs> how many stacks would you give this reenactment? You know, I'll actually I'll give it three. Um, most uh, mostly because you know. Uh, it gave us a decent amount of little reenactment bits uh, combined with a, a, a real-life coroner who looks like a character from Arachnophobia. Uh, and it, like you mentioned, is just hopelessly out of touch. Um, yeah, you know, uh, for a true crime segment, I think it was... It, it was it it held my interest. Uh, it was it was well put together, well enough put together, and it was a it was an actual sort of mystery, sort of a strange thing. Like you know, this person's body's found; they've been dead for twenty four to forty eight hours, but they've been missing for many more days before that. Where were they? What was going on? It, it, it I my attention was engaged the whole time. How about yourself? Um, I'm going to give it four because I Ooh. I thought they d- did a really good job with the little details. But also, I always enjoy it when you can get the actual, you can get the people involved in the case to do the reenactment. And so we get Kurt's parents very bravely uh, going and retracing their steps in the, the days before they found Kurt's body. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. So four yeah. stacks. Uh, I'm... I'm so disappointed that we don't actually get any sort of update or that no one came forward in all this time to say what had happened to Kurt. So it's, it's sad and it's kind of disturbing, but I think with your explanation, it's slightly less disturbing and it's just, you know, some young people trying to cover their asses probably. Right, right. We don't have to worry about a right shoe stealing serial killer uh, roaming around free to this day. So I'm going to be really honest. I didn't take a ton of notes because I was eating a sandwich while (laughs) watching the segment, but I did jot down the important parts I thought. So this is a lost loves segment we've already had. 
I think one or two of these so far. Uh, Robbie, and, this I... <laughs> a, and this is a really unique one because we have like, like a multi-generational lost yeah, love. Yeah, we got a missing dad and a missing son. Yeah. So uh, I found this segment really confusing and I've seen it a couple times now <laughs> just because it jumps around from country to country and be, and back and forth in time. Uh, yes. So we start the segment... We get some vintage footage of the airlift out of um, Saigon, Vietnam in April 1975. Mm -hmm. um, a man named John Nellis, uh, he's a refugee from Vietnam. He was in part of that airlift. Uh, he was the son of a U.S. soldier and Vietnamese woman. The, um, the father, Melvin Nellis, had been stationed in Chungking, China, which is where I guess he met John's mother. Um, so... We get that bit of detail, but we also know that when John fled Vietnam, he was able to bring his fiance, but mm -hmm. he had to leave his infant son from an, a previous relationship uh, in Vietnam. This is yeah. interspersed with, we get uh, cut to Robert Stack, who is outside and he's not wearing a blazer. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. just, it's just shirt. Um, so I don't, that was like a rare sighting is no, no trench coat, no blazer. So I have to imagine it was probably quite warm wherever well, they were shooting this. Was this, was he out in the wilderness? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah, I, 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 maybe they got rid of the blazer cause there's, it's supposed to be like the Vietnamese jungle. I have no idea what, what the, a little why. too humid. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the, 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 the 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 you know that that strip of like parkland slash jog jogging track in L.A. is to the Vietnamese jungle, what, <laughs> <laughs> what what Grand Central Station is to an actual police department. Right, exactly. Uh, so <laughs> I think we actually get a few interstitials this episode with Robert Stack out in those those same woods. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, the whole time we're getting the story of John Nellis coming to America and and this and his origin story, they're playing this like really obnoxious synth Asian spa music <laughs> in the background. Yeah. Um, totally. Oh, um, you know, I want to write this off to it being a show from 1988. <laughs> and it being a little naive, but God damn it, if every show to this day, when they're talking about something in Asia, if they don't play the same fucking music, <laughs> it is so fucking offensive. It's it it's it's what it, it is what you think it is. So just you know, I I I hesitate to call it Ching Chong music uh, for evidence. It's for, totally Ching Chong music. The only way this show this segment could could have gotten you know could have been any more Ching Chong yeah. is if they had Robert Stack in like a bamboo hat eating like rice <laughs> with chopsticks. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, he's just in a, you know a long canoe going down the Mekong River. Um, uh -huh. I, I'm not saying ch Ching Chong because that's how I think people from even Asian countries speak. No, because no, it's no, literally no, no. the sound Ching Chong Ching Chong. That's literally the sound of this music. So right, to be right. clear, um, it's synth ch Ching Chong spa music. Chris, so I know I chided you for not being woke or something last time, but I think listeners to our our, our, our podcasts are probably well aware that you're you you. That, but, that, I, but I want to I want to impress how offensive I find it that every time ah, okay, yeah. there is a segment that is in any way referring to an Asian country that we get this stupid ass music every single time. So the whole segment, basically this music's playing anyway, I'm, I'm getting off course, but, uh, so Melvin Nellis. So we're back in, we're back in China or something now. So we were in the United States and yeah. now we're back in, and then we were in Vietnam. Then we're in the United <laughs> States, but now we're going back to the 1940s in, uh, China. And Melvin Nellis was a American air force, uh, 
Air Force officer, I think. Maybe he was an officer. Maybe it doesn't matter. And he was, he so, was someone in the United States Armed Forces. Yes. And he was stationed in Chongqing, China. And apparently he was there for quite a long time because by the time that Melvin gets uh, stationed elsewhere, uh, John Nellis is about four or five years old. Yeah. yeah so probably. there was. A, it seemed like it was a pretty long-term relationship between John Nellis and, uh, or between Melvin Nellis and John's mother. Um, so John, or I'm sorry, Melvin, <laughs> this is such a confusing story. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like th- four different countries and across like three generations and four decades. Anyway. So yeah. in, in 1949, um, Melvin has to go back to the United States. Apparently, he couldn't take uh, John's mother because they weren't legally married, um, which I'm sure I... uh, John's mother's family had something to say about that. But at any rate. Um... Oh, yeah, you're... I was going from the other angle. What's I was that? thinking that Melvin was just like that melvin was worried about his family that like you know oh i'm oh i'm absolutely sure as well yeah yeah it's like holy crap i can't you know come back with you know an eastern asian bride you know my my mid two midwestern farming parents are going to like blow a gasket if i do that well i can i (laughs) can i interject with a little personal history Oh, interesting. Please do. Uh, yeah. Um, so similarly, um, although as far as I understand, my grandfather didn't um, n- knock up this woman and then leave her behind. But uh, <laughs> my, my grandfather was in Korea and he um, was dating this. I think she was a she was a Japanese girl. And th- I mean, th- you know, they were like 20, but people are getting married at 20. So. You know, yeah, it was as I, as serious I think as things were gonna get, and um, he wanted to marry her, and her family said absolutely not because he was, he was white, like that was would bring shame upon their family, so they had to end it. My grandpa came back from Korea and married my grandmother, obviously, but that is the story of how I um, I was almost had a Japanese grandma. <laughs> Wow, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, shit gets complicated over there, you know? I get it. So yeah. uh, so Melvin has to head back to the United States. Um, in the meantime, there's this like whole communist revolution thing in China, blah, 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 blah. Uh, John and his mother <laughs> flee back to Vietnam at some point. Um, Melvin stops sending letters, so John virtually has virtually no relationship with his father, um, who's who presumably is back in the United States this entire time. Some years later, in the 1950s, John's mother goes to the U.S. embassy in Saigon uh, to try and establish some paper trail to prove that um, John is uh, John's father is an American citizen. And if she had not done that, 20 years later. He would have been screwed. Um, he would have been screwed. So basically, that was his mother, because she was falling on some financial hard times and was planning to send John back to the United States to be with his father. She didn't actually do that, but she established the paperwork to do so to yeah. prove that um, John had uh, rights to uh, come to the United States. Um, yeah, but if she hadn't done that 20 years later when John had to flee during uh, the Vietnam War um, with the American soldiers, he probably wouldn't have been able to to be allowed to get on the plane so uh <laughs> so that, i mean that was a bit of luck but it may be a bit of foresight on john's uh mother's part at any rate uh at some point in his 20s john knocked up some vietnamese lady <laughs> and he has a son can't bring the son with him to the united states so john brings his fiance sets up shop in orange county he's been living there and so now he's looking for um, his American father and also his Vietnamese son. Yeah. Um, so we find out that uh, we get an update immediately. And, and this is one of those ones that Unsolved Mysteries had a hand in because they go on site to film the reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> within three weeks of uh, airing the segment, someone was able to locate John's son in Vietnam. And they also discovered that John's father had since retired and was living in Tokyo, Japan with his new family. But uh, I have a new wife. She's nice. 
so <laughs> we don't get a reunion <laughs> with John's with father, that. unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, but we do get uh, John's son. I didn't catch his name, so sorry. Daniel. <laughs> I was eating a sandwich. Oh, so Daniel, <laughs> Daniel flies in. I presume from Vietnam. Um, they don't really say. I mean, he could have been in like Texas for all we know, but uh, right. Well, but, uh, he doesn't speak English, so I'm gonna assume it was Vietnam. Well, that could still be Texas. Uh. <laughs> Who can say? So John's yeah. son appears uh, at the airport, and then so they have a very happy reunion with John and his son Daniel and uh, John's wife, and then um, their their daughter so good lord if this isn't a fucking complicated family situation though <laughs> i i really had a hard time keeping track I mean, we had a really heart heartwarming ending i think um but oh yeah yeah i i it, it, it was totally satisfying um and plus the fact that john was holding an american flag when it when he hugged his son it was kind of a, a nice little you know uh symbolic you know, representation of America with, you know, all, all sorts of different people coming here and, and whatnot, making lives. Um, so yeah, that was just, that's, my- yeah. And, and, and twice now in his life, John fled, uh, fled the communists basically. I mean, him and his mother had to leave China during the, the revolution <laughs> there. And then they, uh, basically followed them 20 years later to Vietnam. So, um, yeah, yeah, he's he's uh, he's had to be very mobile, so I <laughs> I, I I can understand why he's so enamored with the United States nowadays. Yeah, it it was this is really fucking heartwarming, and I've seen it now a couple of times, and each time I get a little choked up. This case, I think I got a little choked up because the chicken sandwich I was eating was really dry. <laughs> it was a chicken sandwich. Uh, it was a chicken sandwich. Yeah, it was an old chicken sandwich from Saturday that I reheated. I okay. put, I, you know, I added a little more mayo to to make it palatable as well as some so, hot so sauce. Are we talking like this is a chicken sandwich from a restaurant, like a chicken yeah. breast? Well, oh. it was it was it was like a fried chicken sandwich. Ooh. Yeah, it wasn't. I'm not proud of this. I well, <laughs> regardless. I was just gonna say uh, your 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 distraction during this segment's a little more forgivable now because yeah. I'm kind of hungry for a chicken sandwich myself. The gist of segment three is that a couple of Catholic priests were murdered. <laughs> there's there's not much here. Like my my no. notes are very short. Yeah. Um, uh, and I I don't I don't want to. I would rather <laughs> instead of discussing this segment. Go um, go to the. To the I would next rather song. just fast forward to segment four, which I'm uh, sure we have a lot to say about. Okay, um, yeah, because I don't, it's. I don't really, yeah, I don't. I don't have any movie references noted down anywhere in my notes for this. Yeah, uh, basically, long, uh, long story short, two Catholic priests were murdered in, in opposite ends of the country. Uh. Some guy, some police guy thinks that they're connected and that there may be a serial killer of priests around. Mm-hmm. We don't get any confirmation at the end with any sort of updates about any of this. No, so, uh, but feel uh, free to tweet at us if you happen to know if there are any more in this string of killing. Uh, specifically, I think they were Franciscan. Franciscans. And they kind of, they make reference to that. Like it's might somehow be significant. Like, one of the things the two you know had in common with they're they both part of the order of franciscans well I, so sudden, we're, we're interested if you know anything more about murders of franciscan priests but if dominican or, priests we don't care or about a dan brown book book about the same topic sure well yeah I mean, really the only thing that stood out to me watching this was uh father kerrigan uh, I don't know about you but when they showed the actual picture of him in real life at the mm-hmm. very beginning of the segment mm-hmm. He, he reminds me of Jack Joseph. I don't know who that is. Jack Joseph of the Jack Joseph coupon book in, in Reno. Uh, okay, well, we'll have to save that for another story. That's a two percenter, uh, dude. <laughs> no, no, no. If you live in Reno, that's a two percenter. If yeah. you live in Burnhouse, that's a zero percenter. 
<laughs> if if you're watching the show and you're interested in learning more about Jack Joseph, go to uh, go to our Twitter at Reenacted Pod. Hey, Robbie, do you remember? Because um, I just I, I mean, RIP these priests, but I don't have any information, so I'd rather just talk about local uh, Reno Sparks Carson City advertising. Do you remember? Uh, there was a commercial years and years ago, and it was for this store called Yogo Bananas. Yogo Bananas. Yogo no, I... Bananas. It was off of Plum Lane. It was near the Costco. No, I, I, I've never, I never saw an ad for this. Okay, well, I think it was super, super, super local. Um, but it would come on late at night, and this, this is how it went. We're a discount store located in the same parking lot as Costco. You'll go bananas. <laughs> and then it would show like old shampoo bottles and like nail clippers and fly swatters. Wait, wait so was this like a, a, a hygiene store or just a, no, a general? it was just like a dollar store, but it was called like You'll Go Bananas. Yeah. But the, the way that the woman said it, I'm going to edit all this shit out because who cares, but I really want to talk about it. I don't but know. This might be the most fl- interesting thing for her. She for had her. such a flat tone of voice. It was uh, Yogo Bananas, located <laughs> on Plum Lane, and and it was like Kazaza or something. Yogo Bananas, <laughs> like you're not going bananas. Why? Yeah, she has no passion in that at all. Um, yeah, I'd also like to take this opportunity to uh, sing the Super Burrito song if you're interested in that. <laughs> Christo, I was hoping, hoping that when you when we started talking about local Reno ads, the the, the Super Burrito song was going to come up. Please, please do. Okay, well, Super Burrito is a uh, fast casual chain of Mexican restaurants in the um, Reno Sparks Carson City corridor, and uh, they have a little tune, and it goes something like this. Burritos in the morning, burritos at night, burritos at noon time, such a delight. Super burrito, super burrito, super burrito, we do it right. Did I get it? <sighs> I was dancing while I was singing it. I was dancing also. But Thank- the dance that I do with it is basically just the truffle shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, not non serial killer pr- dead yeah, priest. Yeah, I mean, it's I give two uh, stars. RIP. Uh, okay. Um, I really wanted to get past all of that so we could talk about what really matters th- at the end of the show. Oh yes, which yes. is we have an unexplained segment. It's it's our first like miraculous occurrence sort of segment uh and it's about a goddamn rock mm-hmm. boy is it <laughs> um now robert stack tries to pump it up he, he he says that it's a part tom sawyer and huckleberry finn part fairy tale mm-hmm. but no it's about a goddamn rock yeah um, and we get some really sick flute music too uh <laughs> yes i oh that's totally in my notes um we shoot to saturday may 14th 1988 and two boys are playing somewhere along the canadian u.s border um one's named jamie park the other's named trevor johnson and they totally have this flute music i mean you'd you'd think they're about to encounter a bunch of flying little fairies or something uh but instead what they find is a rock and it's got a bunch of shapes carved on it like circles and half circles and triangle and some other stuff uh the kids in the reenactment itself are a little bit better actors than the kids in the first segment and one of them said when they're speculating about the age one of them says that maybe that's from eons of years ago um they go back and tell trevor's dad who for some reason felt compelled to go take a look at this rock And uh, you know, Crystal, the, I believe he actually says there are no words to express the sort of feelings you get when you see this rock and touch it. Now seeing as the rock is the people's champion. Sure enough, 
this rock is the most important thing that's ever happened in this family's life. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> the Johnsons were not in good shape. Uh, to quote the mother, monies were not good. Um, despite the fact she was working as a receptionist, he was in prison corrections, but they are still struggling to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And so naturally they do, you know, what is a very reasonable thing to do when you're in that sort of financial difficulty. They decide to open up a shop in the mall. Uh, and it's interesting. They mentioned that it was like a 100 square foot shop, which is. I think ten- it was a thousand square feet. No, 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 no. You're, 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 oh, getting... I'm sorry. Oh, no, yeah, no, it's fine. You, you are that figure is right, but for later on, no, th- this, this, their initial uh, decision to try to open a shop in this mall was a hundred square foot shop, which is ten feet by ten feet. That's like basically my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Um. This. So this is. This seems like it'd be the kind of shop that like you're going in to. Uh, s- send Western Union payments mostly if you're going into this place. Um, but yeah, uh, and unsurprisingly, this shop actually made matters worse. And construction was running behind. It was becoming another drain on them. Well, how much shit are you going to put in a 100 square foot <laughs> shop? What? <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. Did like, they even mention I- what they're selling, what they plan to sell there? Not, not in this particular shop. Um, I mean, I guess if like you had a, a space that was narrow but long, so you know instead of like ten by ten, we're talking two and a half by forty or, or something. Um, uh, you could probably like you know sell comic books in a space like that but yeah it 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 seems so strange but after the rock and the rock will get in the ring and do exactly what he does best and that is layeth the smacketh down on your candy ass things changed after the rock they get a call from the owner of the mall who offers them a thousand foot square shop at a extremely reduced rate or something and they're like, well, okay, but, you know, it's like, what are we going to sell? Da, da, da. Like, uh, we don't have the, you know, capital, blah, blah, blah. And the, the mall owner's like, we'll take care of the inventory for you. And then three days, and it turns out the inventory's dresses. This becomes a dress shop. Three days after the dress shop opens, they offer the husband the chance to become the manager of the movie theater. And less than a month after that, they offer him the they offer to let him buy the movie theater outright for what must have been a ridiculously low price. And so, like by three months and one day after finding the rock, they've now also opened a candy store. All of this seems to happen way too fast. Yeah, to the point uh, where I think they're kind of bullshitting the timeline. Oh, do you think that that's that's what's going on? No, I think they're bullshitting everything, but I think... Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> specifically how quickly all this happens, I think they may have exaggerated a bit. Okay, I was thinking that maybe this was just a situation where real estate and renting just wasn't moving very quickly in this I think community. That's, I think that's probably the other factor as well. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I... I think that was a, a big part of it. Um, they br- the show brings in some sort of expert on I don't know rock mythology or something. His name's Rick McClure, and he says that the symbols cut in the rock are not of American Native American origin. Uh, that they were probably made in the 20th century and that they have no religious significance or magical powers. And you know what I call that is just some random graffiti on a rock. Like there's a couple of teenagers and they're just cutting some, uh, some you know, symbols and shapes into a rock. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's totally that. That's that's the explanation <laughs> I see. That's what it has to be. That's what it is. Um, but and- is it? <laughs> Or was it aliens? Is it magic or coincidence? 
That's 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 the sort of question that Robert Stack leaves us off with. I don't even. I feel like he's trying super hard not to laugh at how ridiculous <laughs> this line right. is that he has to say. If you watch this segment, you'll notice he has this kind of smirk on his face. Yeah, <laughs> I I I think I think you're right. Um, you know, but regarding this question, magic or coincidence, my thoughts are this. That stupid goddamn idiots have all the luck. Uh, these people made horrifyingly bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and these people believe that a rock can be magical, maybe. Uh, so I'm pretty, actually, sure this, the... I'm pretty sure this family worships that rock now because they keep going back to it. Dude, yeah, the segment ends with them, like, the whole family by the stream. The kids are just sort of, you know, running around goofing off, but the father's, like, practically caressing the rock. Yeah. Um, but honestly, you know, uh, yeah, these these goddamn idiots have all the luck. They won the life lottery somehow by just being in the right place at the right time. Clearly, like, the mall manager or o- mall owner was like, shit, we have this thousand foot space and all this inventory. We need people to run this. Uh, g- gosh, these people trying to rent out the, you know, the space that used to be occupied by the Western Union kiosk. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're fucked over because of the construction delays. We'll just have them, you know, we'll just let them run the, sh- the, the shop. And if it's successful, great. And if it's not, you know, it's going to be their head. And then there was an opening at the movie theater. So they <laughs> went ahead and offered the father the manager position. And somehow, like, they must have very, the movie, the mall must have very cheaply come into possession of the uh, movie theater ownership from the, whoever it was before. And so they just was like, oh, we'll just sell it to this guy for, you know, super cheap and we'll still be making a profit. And obviously the movie Willow was doing such gangbuster business in the mall. <laughs> Glad you noticed that. <laughs> Crystal, this was, <laughs> I, I, I spent like half an hour after this segment watching uh, reviews of Willow on Cisco and Ebert at the movies. <laughs> trying to do research because first i was just my first first thought was like first i want to make sure that this movie was actually out in theaters at the time that this segment's being portrayed yeah you're doing your due diligence you caught uh, that one from the 1920s was incorrect exactly but this this appears to be uh, this appears to be maybe you know completely uh uh on the mark because willow was released in 1988 this segment takes place in 1988, um, and Willow is indeed rated PG, and I guess $3 was probably, uh, you know, a standard matinee price for a film in this area at that time. And that's all there is to t- talk about this segment, because there's no such thing as Magic Rock. Um. Well, Robert Stack ends the segment by asking us if it's coincidence or something else. And I angrily turned off the episode and said, it's definitely coincidence. I mean, this is like... I'm annoyed that the show gave these crackpots the time of day. It won't be the first time either. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sorry. It won't be the last time, and it, it certainly wasn't the first time because we had the um, treasure hunters and Virginia yeah. a while back. But well, though to be fair, at least those treasure hunters literally. I mean, they did. You know, they were searching for something that they thought was out there. Da da da. Um. Well, I, I guess I guess these people do believe the rock is magical, or alternative. Are these people who just, you know, had a good turn of luck and then concoct, decided to take it one step further, concoct a a bullshit story about a magic rock to get on unsolved mysteries so that they could also be famous as well as wealthy? Just throwing it out there. Might be a possibility. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm more inclined to believe that they're just 
stupid idiots who are worshipping a rock. I, th- I think that's what's happening here. No stock. No think, stacks, Crystal. No stacks. I, no I'm stacks. giving this sake that no stacks. I would give it negative stacks if I could. Um, just for... Just... It's insulting to the other cases where someone legitimately died in tragic circumstances uh, <laughs> to air this within the same television program. It's obviously a time filler. It's not it's like something they can go and investigate. They can't ask the detective. They can't ask the coroner. I mean, it was a cheap way for them to fill the last six minutes of the show. Right. So fuck them and fuck that stupid family. <laughs> And they're dumb fucking magic rock. And that's what I have to say about that. I think this is probably like we've used more profanity this episode than we have in all our previous episodes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We do have an, well, I'm not really because we do have an explicit tag on our, uh, on our podcast. So, and we finally really earned it. I think. Uh, Yeah. It was the magic rock that put me over the F bomb edge. And I'm sorry everyone i'm sorry i'm sorry i made this podcast in the first place (laughs) i'm just sorry Uh, magic rock it's just terrible uh robbie do you have anything else that you you wanted to talk about this week um well no i mean the thing i was really excited about was uh ryan baxley uh giving us a shout out on twitter oh and good, we, good name drop i'm sorry that i didn't recall at the beginning of the episode ryan's name yeah i i hope he's still listening at this point or he didn't like turn off and discuss at, at the beginning when we didn't mention his name well we're at the point now that we will give you a shout out on our show if you tweet at us because so far it's been one person i'm hoping we cross the threshold at some point where we're not able to give everyone a shout out but right now it's a pretty sure thing if you want to get at us so Heck, yeah, at this early point in the game, you're still, you know, there's a good possibility you can end up with some sort of weird uh, image I draw in uh, Windows Paint, so. You know, we're uh, going to look back on these episodes years from now and, you know, lament uh, and, and yearn for the days at the same time where we could go to the grocery store and not be recognized for our unsolved <laughs> mysteries podcast. Man, we're going to be so ashamed uh, in the future, just walking around constantly having to head our, hang our heads low. And people are like, there's the unsolved mysteries podcast people. Yep. <laughs> uh, do you want to, you want to take us out? Oh, yes. Join me next week for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries. Are you sure that's what you wanted to say? <laughs> well, that's... I, I thought I thought I would say what whatever oh, it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's fine. All right, I'm, sto- I'm stopping the recording. We'll end on that.